Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. With me, Kevin, three points day, and him, Kieran, no points, Maguire. All right, Kieran, I think you'll be fine. You'll stay up. No, nothing. Well, that, that's our objective, and it's always the same. If, if you support a club the, the size of mine, so. Just get used to it. My, my, only, my biggest fear is the last time we were in the top division, we lasted four seasons, uh, and then it took us another 37 to uh, get back. Oh, well, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's questions day, Kieran, and I, I should share some exciting news with, with our listeners, is that we can see each other for the first time. You know, we're on this brand new uh, site, which enables us to look at each other's... I can see your bookcase... Uh, which, yes. which has yet to go, hasn't got a copy of my book because I haven't sent you one yet, as I forgot to do it. But uh, uh, Wayne Hussey is getting some very good free publicity from you, <laughs> whoever he is. So Wayne Hussey, they... he's the lead singer of the Mission. Oh, that Wayne Hussey. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think that his book would have the word salad on the front cover. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's Questions Day, Kerry. But as ever, we have a couple of quick news stories and one complete non-story to bring you first. Uh, the Premier League Big Six have got some unexpected money to pay out on add-ons. Well, it, it, it's only uh, if, if certain conditions are, are satisfied. S- somebody contacted me a couple of days ago uh, asking asking this as a question, so I went and got my spreadsheet out. Um, but I, I think I'm more concerned that uh, it's it's the tip of the iceberg. If we take a look at the the Big Six. Uh, potentially, if players hit certain international caps targets uh, and uh, trophies are won and things of that nature, they could have to pay out an extra $336 million on add-ons. Whoa. But I'm more concerned uh, in terms of the Premier League clubs is that collectively they have outstanding transfer fees of $1.5 billion owing to other clubs. Now, now, some of that will swirl in and out of the Premier League, uh, but some of it won't. So, uh, you know, it, there could be a huge domino effect. One club goes uh, goes bust, and that could, doesn't, doesn't have to be in the UK. could be in Europe. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and that could cause a knock-on effect because people are expecting to receive these instalments on transfer fees. So there, there are certain parallels, and I, I don't want to be a doomster or a gloomster, uh, as, uh, as Boris Johnson would perhaps describe, um, but, yeah, there are certain parallels with where we were in, in 2007 um, and, and the global credit crunch. Are there, are there days where a transfer fee is paid in full up front gone completely then? 
not always. Uh, if, if the stories are true, Leicester City played hardball with Manchester United over Harry Maguire. So they got the £80 million up front. And the reason for that is that they wanted to build themselves a new training facility. But in the majority of times, uh, transfers are being done uh, on, on installments. If, if you look at Aaron Wan-Bissaka, that was split over two installments, some are, some are longer than that. Uh, it, it really depends who's, who's in the box seat when it comes to the negotiations. OK, now, uh, if you're a Wolves fan, Kieran, who thinks that agents are doing a good job for a fair price, then you might have to prepare yourself. Well, yeah, this is this is a really weird story. Uh, this is to do with uh, Fabio Silva, who became Wolves' record signings signing, uh, around about thirty-five million. This is for a player who scored one goal. He's a striker, and he scored one goal in his career. Appreciate he's, he's only a kid. Um, and then you start to look at uh, we went on to some Portuguese websites, uh, and, and I'm indebted. That I, I teach some Brazilian and Portuguese students, so so they did the translation for me. Um, the agents are picking up 10 million euros in total out wow. of this deal, of which uh, 6.4 million sterling is going to Jorge Mendes, who's not even the player's agent. So what he's getting the money for, I don't know whether it's sort of an introduction fee between the two clubs, but he's not the player's agent, but he's picking up this enormous sum. Um, And and Mendes is this sort of, you know, Svengali figure. He came into into Wolverhampton Wanderers as an advisor, and that's his official title. And he is uh, Nuno Espirito Santos's agent. Uh, he, he runs this very successful agency. And, you know, it's got a Ronaldo, De Gea, Bernardo Silva, Jose Marino uh, on his book. So he's very, very good at what he does. But he doesn't half get some uh, big, big fees out of this. Um, and it does seem to be uh, you know, pretty much on the generous side. Yes. Uh, all I can say to that is, Shkulpa, uh, now Farol Portuguese. Oh. which is uh, Portuguese for sorry, I don't speak Portuguese, was, uh, a, a long time ago. And I'm going to use the word multilingual here, Kieran, and I'd like you to not respond to it in a childish fashion. But a long time ago, I went to Portugal with a, a multilingual girlfriend who spoke Portuguese and decided that I looked so Portuguese that I'd obviously be stopped in the street to ask be asked for directions. So she taught me how to say, I'm oh, sorry, I don't speak Portuguese. And uh, I didn't need to use it once because, as you can see, I don't look at all Portuguese. Now, <laughs> um, I, you don't have to agree so readily, Kieran. Uh, otherwise, I'll turn the camera off. Um, I like this I like this story because Guy has, has started it by putting in brackets, sorry, keep forgetting to put this one in. Uh, so, uh, But it's an interesting one, and I'm surprised there wasn't more uh, publicity about this because it's a, a, a good story in a way. Hector Bellerin, who we've spoke about, previously on the pod as somebody who has a, a, a very well-developed social conscience. Uh, he's a vegan. He's the one who wants to plant trees. But he's now become the second largest shareholder of League Two side Forest Green Rovers. Now, we've got a question coming up about a conflict of interest, but that would be interesting if Arsenal and Forest Green Rovers are drawn against each other in the cup, wouldn't it? Yes, there are. So I went into the uh, the, the Premier League handbook, which was published on Friday, for anybody that's interested, 336 pages um, of stuff um, for, for anybody that likes that type of thing. If if he'd owned more than 30% of Forest Green Rovers, 
He could have potentially been in breach, uh, but by all accounts, he is below that particular threshold. The reason why he's got connected with uh, FGR is that they are the first carbon neutral club in the land. Uh, yet they've gone vegan. Their their owner Dale Vince is is what you'd expect him to to look like and act like. You know, he's he's very very green. Um, and uh, you know, look, listen to what Bellerin had to say. And he says, you know, I'm 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 a young man. Uh, I'm concerned about the future. Uh, climate change is real, and we've only got to see what's happening in California uh, at present to to actually acknowledge that. Um, and he wants to show a bit of commitment to the cause. So, you know, so once again, hats off to him. You know, it was a, it was an, you know, it was an impressive stance that he's taken with regards to, uh, you know, is it thirty thousand, three thousand yeah, trees yeah. for every Arsenal victory, and yeah. he'll have his first one uh, set off yesterday, of course. So, it, so he's he's bought into this, and by all accounts, he's now going to be acting as a sort of a spokesman for Forest Green Rovers on, on some of their uh, on some on some of their activities and and projects. So, you know, you know, regardless of of where you stand on the green green issues, and I personally, I'm I'm pr- very pro. Um, I think he's making a superb stance. Is is this a possible way out of? Trouble for other football clubs. Because we we saw that Everton, Bill Kenwright, for example, wanted to make donate some money to Bury, but league rules wouldn't allow that to happen. It, you know, it, it, could a club in trouble ask Marcus Rashford, for example, to invest in the club? But is that is that possible? Is it? I mean, is this an unusual scenario for a player to have money in another football club? Uh, yeah, it, it's it's unique as far as I'm concerned, but. You know, most footballers do have some form of social conscience. You know, we've seen in respect of uh, Wigan Athletic, yeah. um, Victor Moses gave yeah. £20,000 to the Save, uh, uh, Save Wigan campaign. James McLean's done the same. Uh, Roberto Martinez has done the same. So, so yeah, we, we've seen significant donations coming from players acknowledging the place that football clubs have have, uh, have played in, in their development as, as managers and players. So it's it goes against the myth of footballers being just interested in sort of fast cars and booze and birds and that type of thing, um, and and shows that you know, most footballers are good kids. Well, Victor Moses, of course, was well brought up at a brilliant football club, so of course he has a social conscience. Um, speaking of which, Kieran, um, our final news story: the, the the problem with there being three people in our relationship is that sometimes uh, one of them gets outvoted. So it says here uh, that there's been a mixed reaction to Crystal Palace's new season ticket policy. Yes, I, I think uh, I enjoy a bit of role play, Kevin, but that's for another podcast. Um, but so I guess we really ought to switch the roles here. Uh, Crystal Palace have introduced this uh, this season ticket policy, which which appears to be uh, paying in instalments but not interest free uh, for those fans who are. Uh, un- reluctant to sign up for a season ticket this year because it could be that they are shielding. It could be because they're in high risk groups in in terms of COVID. Uh, I think they've got to pay a two hundred pound fee um, effectively, which is a discount against next year's season ticket. And you're closer to this, far closer to this than I. Um, how's that gone down? It, it it's oddly uh, it, again. See, so yeah, I'm I'm reticent about this subject Kieran because when we talked about it on the uh, five-year plan palace podcast I was accused both of being a club poodle for not saying it was a terrible scheme and I was accused of being uh, against the club for not saying it's a brilliant scheme it's 
there are I've I've got misgivings about it, but having said that, I'm one of the ten thousand people that have renewed the season ticket already. the The big problem is that the two hundred pound thing is is a big issue, without a doubt. Um, the club's response is that they want to plan for next season and they need a level of commitment um, for next season season ticket sales. They can predict what's going to happen, and if if they just allowed people to to say, "I don't want a season ticket this season, but I I definitely want it next season," that's no way to sort of help future planning. The instalments thing, I'm very uneasy about. I have to say. Um, because in the past the club has run their own scheme where you can pay by ten instalments, which is which is fine. They decided that for for several reasons, mainly um, it was difficult for a, a club to administer that they to outsource it to V six, who I believe have a certain interest in other clubs as well, do similar things for other clubs at a rate of interest of six percent. Um, uh, and they they set the credit bar quite low, but quite a few people have had issues because one friend of mine, for example, couldn't pay for his uh, ticket on instalments because he never had a credit card, uh, so he was refused. And says, but um, the the biggest problem there was two problems. A lot of clubs had already sorted out their season tickets. A lot of clubs in February, March, April renew their season tickets. I think it's about ten clubs in the Premier League whereby everybody had already bought their season ticket and they now understand what's going to happen and there'll be refunds for games they don't get to see. What Palace didn't do very well is to say to to fans in the initial email, the initial letter they sent to season ticket holders, was explain why they were wanting money up front um, and how the system was working. Because basically they should have said, look, we've taken a massive hit on uh, Premier League money, taken a massive hit on broadcasting money, sponsorship deal is nowhere near as much as it was if you can afford to pay a season ticket up front please do so and it will really help they didn't do that and that's caused some confusion but the the scheme itself i think most palace fans think there is no fair way of doing it essentially and basically what happens is i've paid for my season ticket um if i only get to see four games this season then next season i get a virtually free season ticket because the the games i don't get to see will be refunded Towards your season ticket next season or refund, so it's 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 complicated. But yet there are other clubs that have had issues. I mean, Leicester, for example, uh, originally charged wanted to charge people seventy pound to go into a ballot for each. They're doing it on a match by match basis, but they're charging people full match day prices. Whereas Palace's argument is that you know you're still getting a season ticket when you do get to see games. It'll be a pro rata season ticket rate. So it's it's um it's it's not good. I'm, I'm the two hundred pound thing does make me. Anxious, I have to say, ironically, because it's for people that are anxious about going to football. The charging interest on the instalments, I think, is wrong, completely wrong. Uh, but most Palace fans don't think about it that deeply. Most Palace fans who could afford to have coughed up for a new season ticket because they they kind of understand that the club need some plan, guaranteed income, essentially. Yeah, I mean, and certainly if you look at what's happened in the lower leagues, uh, if you look at the likes of Tranmere, their fans have, have been trying to send the club season ticket money before the season tickets were due for renewal yeah. for exactly that purpose. I, I think I think fans take the view if if they can afford and, and nobody's making any judgment about individual that's... personal circumstances, then then that's it's a nice gesture from fans. I, I agree about the interest because we get the matches in instalments over a season. So yeah. why why don't we get the the finance and in instalments interest free over a season? So I can understand that grating. Uh, 
if, if you're a Palace fan who's been going 40 or 50 years and the club's saying, oh, we're not certain you're going to renew in 21, 22, then they don't know their fan base. Yeah. You know, you, you, if, if you're a fan, you renew because you've been, it's been it's part of your life. And to say that, oh, well, you might not do it does seem a bit disingenuous. Well, I, I, I agree with that. And, I, and I, to be perfectly honest with you, I spoke to somebody at the club about this. Um, they used a word I'd not heard before, which is churn. Uh, and basically what they said is we sell, I think it's just short of 18,000 season tickets every season, but 2,000 of those are to different people. So every year, 2,000 people who have had season tickets for quite some time don't renew their season tickets. And they say it's almost impossible to predict who those people are, um, which is which is I, I found quite interesting because I assume most people, maybe ten or twenty, wouldn't be able to renew their season ticket or got too old to go to football. But I was I was quite shocked by those figures. Um, there's it's not it's not ideal, but I don't think any club fans would say their system's ideal at all. And also these are these are unprecedented circumstances. And I I, I think and unfortunately this has been a problem with my club for quite some time. Is communication isn't isn't brilliant in the old days, you know. 10, 12 years ago when we had 3,000 season ticket holders, Terry Byfield, who was our press secretary, would have nailed a leaflet to a tree in Croydon and, and, or sent a letter to the Croydon advertiser. But now, it, it's it, for, for better or worse, we're a, a, an established, we're about to start our eighth season in the Premier League and we've become a big corporation. And, and big corporations, as, as you know, struggle to communicate as well as the small corporations do. And we, we have now got levels of executive that we never had before. Steve Barish is very keen on using you know, the sort of business organisations, advisory groups, consultants that we've never had before. And I think there are people at the club who haven't worked in football all their life. You know, the, our, our chief exec, Phil Alexander, was, was at Swindon for a decade before he came to Palace 22 years ago. So he's he's immersed in football. So he knows football fans. But there are people around him now who are working in a business and this time next year they might be in a PR company they might be in a uh, a newspaper company so to, to them football is just another industry and it and as we know it isn't so it's um I, I yeah I say it's, you can probably tell by the way I'm in my voice you can tell I'm prevaricating but it's I'm not we haven't covered ourselves in glory to be perfectly honest but mainly in the communication and you know I will unequivocally say that I think the charging interest to pay to pay season tickets by instalments is is wrong. Getting a credit company is wrong, considering we're a club with a working class fan base who's been particularly hit by COVID. And there are people who will have consoled themselves that they could well I'll get my ticket on instalments this season, who can't do that because for, for whatever reason the credit company won't allow them. And I I, I think that is a, a an issue that the club should address, and at least they should have explained why they were doing it and why they, you know, why we're not big enough for the club to handle it in-house. Fair enough. Can we move on now? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, And then I will be spending the next two weeks looking for something to criticise Brighton about. Apart from the fact that you're bottom of the table and got no points. Shocking. Um, Questions. And the first one is about, oh, it's about Crystal Palace. (laughs) (laughs) You and Guy are really not happy about us being a fourth in the Premier League, are you? No, no, this this is all Guy's work, not me. I, yeah, there's a, a guy's been paying attention this week because there's a real circularity to some of the questions. There's a real kind of Zen philosophy going on here. Um, He's the organ grinder. I'm the monkey. You know that. Well, what is that? So I'm not the organ grinder or the monkey. 
That's, that's depressing. Isn't it? I mean, the organ grinder nor the monkey in this podcast. Uh, Chris Johnson has asked, uh, when Crystal Palace took investment from the American venture capitalists, Steve Parrish, uh, note to guy, just one R in Parrish, uh, Steve Parrish said at least 50 to £100 million of that investment would be ring-fenced for the stadium and the new standard that we're hoping to start next season. Chris asks, is there any sign in any of the accounts of that money being ring-fenced? Um, I, I've taken a look at four sets of account, four sets of accounts because, as we know, in, in modern football, it's all a little bit messy. So there's Palace Holdco, Palace Midco, CPFC 2010 Limited and CPFC Selhurst Park. Um, and, and I can't see anything which specifically ring fences any money. If we, if we take a look at the main holding company, uh, C, C, uh, Crystal Palace Holdco, uh, it's got creditors of £160 million, of which £60 million is due to the owners. Now, it, it doesn't say that that money is owed to the owners and it can only be spent on particular activities. So it, it could be that it's a gentleman's agreement. Um, but if, it, if that money has been effectively set aside, you'd expect to see it uh, come through in the cash balances. Uh, and, and I can only see £12 million in the bank. Uh, at the right. end of June 2019. So, uh, you know, there's no, I'm not saying it's not the case, but I, I, I was struggling to find it, and I had a bit of a trawl through the the various uh, club accounts uh, when, when this story came up. Would the, the new stand, we're, we're, fine, we're waiting for uh, official approval from the Mayor of London before the new stand can, can start being built, and they're hoping that at the end of this season that work will begin. But does it make business sense for any business to say a certain amount of money can only be used on that because doesn't that reduce your flexibility it, it does uh, i mean the the reason behind it potentially could be that that was a precondition of the lender that this money can only be utilized right. for particular projects and, and it's to it, it's to stop uh, a potential investor coming in wanting to commit to the infrastructure of the club the long time so the long-term sustainability of the club, and then that money's given to, you know, it doesn't have to be Palace, it could be any club, and, and they immediately go and spend, you know, £40 million on a Ukrainian centre-half who turns out to be toilet. Uh, yeah, it was a Polish centre-half who turned out to be toilet as it happened, but he's, he, he's got a squad number, which is worrying. Um, let's, let's get off this slightly awkward Crystal Palace segment of the show. Um, Tom McCormick has asked this. In this, in this COVID world... And you'll like this, Kieran, this is a proper accounting question. In this COVID world, it's clear that many clubs will be looking to cash in on players in order to pay the bills short term. However, it occurred to me, uh, and Tom says, I hope correctly, don't second guess yourself, Tom, that as the market has crashed, many players will have more book value remaining than they will be able to sell them for. So is there an argument for UEFA or the EFL, etc., to reduce that book value by, say, 20% and disregard it for FFP purposes? Right. Um, what we're talking here about is something called player value impairment. Um, th there is certainly evidence that the, the the transfer market has fallen. If you look at the comments from uh, Agnelli, the, the the president of Juventus and the the European Club Association, he he spoke this week and he says the market's down by around about thirty percent. Now, it, 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 I think that's overall. If you look at certain high high profile players such as Sancho, you know, Dortmund are, are still sticking out for their 110 million euros on that. But there is certainly evidence that uh, in the majority of cases, the values are down. 
So, so what clubs can do and what some do is they do this thing called uh, impairments where they, they reduce the value of the players in the books to their market value. But remember, our favorite accounting topic, amortization, reduces player values each year anyway. Mm. So if, if you've got a player four years into a five-year contract, he's only worth a small amount. So on the on the back of that, the book values still tend to be substantially lower than market values unless you've only unless you've signed the player in the last twelve months. Um, the trouble is with things of this nature, it, it does make the accounts very open to creativity. Uh, and as you know, I, I get, get on my high horse about that, and, and we, we, we saw what's happened with, with Derby in relation to their unusual player values. Um, FFP is a bit of a mockery. If this was uh, introduced by UEFA as a flat 20 or 30% reduction, I think people will just, just make hay and, and, and just make the numbers, which already uh, a lot of the time... I, wouldn't, I, I don't place a lot of faith in them. I think it, it would make a mockery of the numbers. Because surely a player value is entirely subjective, isn't it? I mean, there isn't a, an approved Premier League or EFL scheme whereby you say for each year a player gets older, you knock a million pound off his prices. It? It's just you you decide that a player's worth 20 million quid or 40 million quid or 60 million quid, whatever. That, that's right. Um, and this was, uh, th- this again, going back to the, the, the Derby County verdict, uh, I was actually quite surprised that uh, they place so much reliance on on websites such as Kicker and Transfer Market because uh, I, I look at the values on there. Um, and if we go back to the uh, the Wolves player, uh, Fabio Silva, you know, he's just gone to Wolves for thirty five million. Uh, according to Transfer Market, his value was ten. Well, so, okay. you know, they're, they're just making numbers up and, yeah. and people are giving faith. And, and that, that's a problem when a website becomes big, it, because it becomes big. People believe it's got more credibility in terms of the algorithms and the methods used for valuation. Um, you know, if I look at Brighton's Ben White, according to uh, Transfer Market, worth four million, we turned down an offer for 25 from Leeds. Now, mm. I don't know what his value is. And, and yeah, yeah. You know, ultimately, the value is agreed between two clubs. But it does. Uh, it, it's giving credibility to things people see on the website just because it's a big site. Well, I suppose you would argue that if Wolves were willing to pay thirty-five million pound for Silver, then he's worth thirty-five million pound. That's right, um, and, and that's the reason why why Derby County have been uh, uh, cleared of the of the pl- of the the stadium uh, issues. Yeah. Somebody was willing to pay eighty-one million pounds. Somebody was willing to sell it for £81 million. Right. The fact that it happened to be the same person <laughs> is, of course, just a coincidence. Yeah, we were doing so well. I, I had written Derby Free Zone on the top of my script, but there you go. Um, Mike Asbury. Hello, Mike. Mike has been a Watford season ticket holder for 30 years, which is, which is what, about 50 managers? Um, uh, Mike is worried that Watford have just borrowed a lot of money from Barclays, um, and I, he's putting a lot of faith in you here, Kieran. But, but Mike says, can you explain why they've borrowed a lot of money from Barclays and what the future consequences might be? This is actually linked to to a story we ran uh, in the last week or two. Um, we've got Watford Association Football Club Limited, which itself is owned by Hornets Investment Limited. So I go into the accounts of Hornets Investment and, and this this. Sort of, a, sort of a continual theme. Hornets Investment have got creditors of over 200 million quid, of which 80 million pounds was owed to a company called 
23 Capital Limited. Now, this is the big football lender which pulled out of the football market in the last couple of weeks and, and it got rid of 50 staff. Oh, wow. So I, I, I don't know, and it's difficult to work out. I've, I've looked at the documentation at Companies House. Um, Watford have now borrowed from Barclays instead of 23 Capital, but, but 23 Capital were owed £80 million, and, and that money was, was due for repayment, I think, over the course of the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Um, but they were paying... Um, at LIBOR plus six point two eight percent, which is a, which is quite a high premium. You know, it's more than going back to our Palace store. It's more than yeah. Palace are charging the fans, and this is for a this is for a company. Um, Twenty three Capital itself was loss making, so I think it was under pressure from its lenders to get back some of its money. So it could be that Barclays have come in and they've they've switched the loan. So it is effectively that, that Barclays have taken over the loan on 23 Capital, or it could be, it could be fresh lending. Um, but we, are, we, we have seen Watford sell Decore, and I think that has been a theme with the clubs which have been relegated, is, is that they're looking to cash in on their assets uh, because parachute payments are going to be down this year because parachute payments are based on the Premier League's TV income, which itself is down. Well, you've half answered uh, our next question, which comes from uh, Nobby Clark. Uh, he's a regular listener. Hello, Nobby. Um, Nobby's been doing a Kieran Maguire, and he, he says that from a layman's point of view, he's been looking at Watford and Bournemouth's accounts. He said both of those clubs look like they're in serious debt, as you just said about Watford. What impact will relegation have, and how bad is the, the debt for both those clubs? You've answered one well, of them. Yeah, we've we, we just covered Watford. Um, I, I think it's an issue of um, cashing in on your assets, uh, in in order to pay down debt, the, the impact. Uh, if, if we take Bournemouth, Bournemouth will be worse off by around about sixty five million pounds in terms of TV money. Um, the match day income. Let, let's operate in a non COVID world. I don't think that would have been affected because they only get they only get three pounds eighty out of every one hundred pounds was coming through yeah. the turnstiles because uh, their their stadium only holds eleven thousand. I think their commercial income was probably going to halve. So, so realistically, they're going to be £70 million worse off this year. But they've subsequently they've sold Nathan Ake. They've just sold Callum Wilson. So they've got £65 million of that £70 million hold back. Big, big numbers off their wage bill. Clearly, they're trying to, to reset the clock in, in terms for life in the championship. Again, some of the, some of the numbers are a bit scary. Bournemouth have creditors. 225 million. Yeah, we've just named three clubs, which between them, you know, no disrespect to any of these clubs, Palace, Watford and Bournemouth, between them, owe £600 million. Um, and I, I am concerned about some of the things because I, I was talking to somebody that works in uh, in the world of credit earlier in the week. And I, I can't go in, in, into any details. Uh, but he said that he's just seen a, a loan go out to a, a big club, you know, not, not uh, you know, a big Premier League club, uh, a further £80 million in loans, interest rates being charged 9.5% plus a 1.5% introduction fee, so effectively 11% interest. And, and this is all indicative of the, the markets thinking that football is high risk. Because hmm. Spurs were borrowing at 2%, Manchester United were borrowing at 2.5%. And all of a sudden, what are we seeing here? You know, Watford, 6, 7, 
this other club, nine and a half. Yeah, that, when, when interest rates go up, it, it's a sign that you are seen as risky. You, know, you watch daytime TV and some of these absolute scumbag companies that are offering uh, loans. And then, and then you look, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred percent for for working class people uh, because they've not got you know credit records or because they've got uh, they're desperate for the cash. So so I think what is happening is indicative that even in the Premier League and certainly in the championship, uh, the idea that football clubs are going to be completely immune to COVID-19 is a myth. Uh, they, they are losing significant sums of money uh, as a result of the of the pandemic. Um, and things are, are tough. And I've been on quite a few radio shows and club podcasts over the course of the last two or three weeks. And the first question I get asked is, why are we not spending money in the transfer market? Well, if, if you're £100 million a year worse off, then you've got to spend, you've got to save yourself £100 million. You know, and, and that's for you know, the likes of Manchester United and Liverpool. But but fans do seem to be living in a bit of a bubble on this. Yeah, see, in the context of those figures, 6% for a Palace season ticket doesn't seem too bad, does it? Um... Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Pat O'Neill, uh, I think Pat could be onto a loophole here. We, we, we've had a couple of loopholes recently. Pat has made a, a, a very, I think, a very interesting suggestion. Pat says, is there anything in the rule book to stop football clubs owning non-football related businesses? So, for example, if Stoke actually owned Bet365, then all their income issues would, would go away. I mean... I mean, is that possible? You know, Bet365 putting a lot of money into the club. But if they were to say, yeah, tell you what, the club owns us now, they've got no money problems at all, have they? Uh, in theory, again, I've, I've been into both the EFL handbook and the, the Premier League handbook, and the EFL one has just come out as well for, for fans in, in that particular area. And there's some, there's some really uh, quite, uh, quite severe stuff taking place with regards to the powers of the EFL investigations. They beefed their powers up for their army of clipboard kids that are going to be checking the, the wages of, of clubs. This, in theory, is feasible. The football club could buy another business. But then you've got to ask yourself, where does it get the money from to fund that acquisition? Uh, Bet365 is, is worth billions. So how can Stoke City, uh, an organisation which is, is generating income in the championship this year of, you know, what, 40, 45 million pounds, um, how can it possibly afford to take over a business uh, which is worth billions. Now, you, know, you could say that there could be some interest-free loans. Um, and then I think the, the EFL, and rightly so, would investigate. Is it a potential loophole? I don't know. We have to wait and see. But we, if, if you take a look at uh, Bolton Wanderers, for example, they were actually owned by a company called Burnden Leisure. Mm. And Burnden Leisure owned the, the, the White Hotel. Now, we are seeing, you know, Chelsea have got a hotel uh 
Milton Keynes Dons have got a hotel. You know, how, how these things are actually integrated into financial fair play. I've never really got to the bottom of it. It's, it's, it's on my list of things to do. OK, well, in the meantime, while you're thinking about that, John Belfridge has said, we have often talked about operating ethically, uh, living wage, transparent accounting, etc. Do football clubs take into account the ecological, environmental aspect of their operations? Uh, obviously, and this is a, an example of the circularity, there is, there's Forest Green Rovers, which he learned about through us. Um, but for other clubs, is there any incentive to reduce waste, like single-use plastic pint glasses, or is it simply not cost-effective? Um, single-use pint glasses, that's an interesting concept. But it's, it's, as said, is, it, is it not cost-effective for clubs to be environmentally aware? Well, well, given that they have to pay for, for uh, industrial waste to be taken away, uh, you, you can see that there are some fiscal benefits in introducing such policies as well as social and environmental. Um, but what we could be seeing is potential pressure coming on from clubs as they develop. So, so we spoke earlier about Palace building a new stand, mm. uh, having to get approval from, from the Mayor of London. It could be that, well, as that's going to expand the size of the stadium, uh, is the club going to commit itself to greener policies with regards to transport and, and things of that nature? Certainly at, at, uh, at my place, Brighton, we were only given permission to build uh, the stadium at Falmer if we if we signed up to what was quite a severe uh, list of restrictions in terms of environmental impact, the the roof couldn't be above a certain size. There's very restricted ability of play, of people being able to park on the, at the stadium itself. There had to be a sustainable transport policy. Yeah, we've even got bike racks and uh, unicycle racks and what you'd expect <laughs> of from our have. place. Um, <laughs> But, but you know, going forwards, uh, I, I would imagine that there will be political pressure on, on clubs. If they want to develop, then they've got to show themselves to be good citizens. Yeah, I know, I know there was a, quite a detailed environmental impact um, report that Palace had to, had to do. And it's slightly different from Palace and Brighton because your stadium was in an area of uh, outstanding natural beauty, wasn't it? It's on the edge of the Downs and houses in Thornton Heath. But... Um, it, it's one of those things where we talk about inevitably in years to come, betting companies will be banned from from sponsoring football clubs, as you know, tobacco and alcohol companies. Been eventually, there's there's got to be environmental. I mean, the, the leagues will have to at some stage make clubs aware of their. I think most clubs are working towards responsible and sustainable policies, but. The, the leagues need to do more about this eventually. I mean, because like you say, you only have to, Trump can deny climate change as much as he wants, but it's it's happening. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And it's, you know, we, we, we want the clubs to be there for our kids and grandkids. Yeah. Poor sods. Why, why, why do we have to put them through that? Um, Nick Pooley. Uh, this is an interesting one. Nick Pooley says, with the German, Spanish, French and Italian leagues being so uncompetitive, if, uh, God forbid... Uh, a European Super League is created, and they're Nick's words, but of course I echo them. Would the richest of the rich clubs simply dominate a European Super League as well? And would a European Super League require different financial governance? Um, if we take a look at those questions in turn, I, mean, I, I agree with him totally. If you take a look at what's happened in France and Germany, Italy, you know the fact that you know who's going to win the, the top division. And this is one of the you know, unintended consequences of financial fair play mm. in that it reinforces existing financial gaps. Um, 
when it comes down to the Super League, it will all come down to how the cash is going to be distributed between the different clubs. We've seen in the Premier League, 60% of income overall comes from broadcasting. And the and part of the reason why the Premier League is, is a success, in my view, is actually it's got a pretty democratic split. You know, the, the fact that the clubs at the bottom of the Premier League make more money from TV than, than Bayern Munich do from winning the Bundesliga is indicative of no no one club can get more than 180% more than the club that finishes bottom. Um, so whilst it is geared towards those clubs at the top, there are a system of checks and balances which gives those clubs at the bottom. You know, we saw last year Norwich City beat Manchester City, mm. you know, which you wouldn't expect to see take the take place in Spain. Um, so we'll have to go and wait and see with regards to this. Uh, in terms of a new series of governance, all they will do is that they will get some of our silver tongue, silver tongue friends to write up their own constitution, which if it's anything like what I've been looking at in, in respect of both the, the Premier League uh, and, and the EFL is going to be an absolute pain in the backside to work through. Uh, I mean, I always look at the, the UEFA regulations when they're updated each season and that's it, it, it's they must get paid by the word these by these people and and none of, and then they live in a comma free zone for words for reasons I've never managed to fathom out. Yeah, it's, um, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not concentrating here, Kieran, but it's, and it's lovely to see you. But I've just noticed you've got much cooler headphones than I have. So I just kind of I started thinking about that halfway through that answer. Well, <coughs> well the actual answer, but yeah, <coughs> excuse me, you're right about the commas. <coughs> see, your headphones are making me cough. Um, Andrew Garside. Uh, now this is a you'll love this question, Kim. This is a proper accountants question, isn't it? There's a proper straight down the line. Football is involved to an extent, but this is yeah, you'll be you'll be telling the Baroness, God, this is this is a good question. Um Andrew Garside says, Can you explain how players' contracts work in relation to pensions contributions? And do they follow the same government requirements of minimum contributions that most of us are familiar with and as a Liverpool fan could you give him any examples based on his club that would be nice he says right well unfortunately Andrew there's nothing in particular in the Liverpool accounts I I could find um I've looked at the the Premier League rules and players automatically go into the professional players pension scheme they can contract out of that uh, if he's interested, page 306 of the Premier League handbook, which came out on Friday, it's there. Um, but what, what does appear to be interesting is that um, the, the Premier League appear to put in a £6,000 contribution minimum for every player, which comes out of the transfer levy. So, so if we look at all the transfers that go through, a proportion of that goes effectively into the Premier League coffers, which in turn goes into the, the pension pots of players. And thinking about it logically, that, that does make a lot of sense because clubs are making an awful lot of money out of transferring players. So this is helping to protect the players' future by putting money into uh, into their futures as well. It used to be, and I remember this from when I did my exams in, uh, in this type of stuff, which was 1986, uh, you used to be able to draw down your pension as a footballer at the age of 35. But I think HMRC have now changed those rules and you've got to be 55 before you can do so. And, and that does make sense uh, because if you start drawing down a pension at 35, you, you're going to be getting buttons regardless of how much you get paid. 
Uh, well, that's true, but I suppose you can argue for a, a player lower down the leagues that, that that leaves them twenty years before they can lay their hands on their pension, which is a a long time because you know Premier League players. I shouldn't think the idea of a pension even crosses their mind because most of them are going to retire as very wealthy people. But you know, a, a League One, League Two player, they're not necessarily going to retire at the age of thirty five with a, a big pot of money, are they? They're not, but remember, we, we I know we brought up this statistic before. The, the PFA have said that forty percent of former players become bankrupt, and that's regardless. You know, we, we've seen players of the likes of David James uh, suffer mm. financial struggles. Um, they they are sometimes poorly advised. They sometimes get into a lifestyle uh, which is very expensive to maintain post retirement, and and the money goes. You know, as Mike Tyson used to say, "You've got a friend for every dollar." Yeah, fair point. Um, penultimate question comes from Nathan Kelly, uh, and Nathan says, "My question concerns owners such as City Football Group and Red Bull. If RB Leipzig and RB Salzburg were in the same Champions League group, and on the final day a draw would ensure they both progress." How can you wait for ensure no conflict of interest? Now, my answer would be cynically, um, as my dad suggests happens with the FA Cup draw, that UEFA would simply warm one of the balls up to make sure that they weren't put in the same pot. As he's convinced that happens. He says they blow on Man United's ball to make sure they get a, a home draw. Um, it's a fair question, though, because if both those groups acquire more clubs, Nathan's got a fair point. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed that UEFA haven't got rules or won't bring in rules that prevent a group owning... You know, an English football club you know, owner can't own more than one club in England. So, yet you can own as many clubs as you want in Europe, it seems. Well, actually, RB Leipzig and RB Salzburg were, did end up playing against each other, I think, a few years ago. And UEFA did launch an investigation. Right. Um, and the clubs managed to prove that the ownership was sufficiently independent. Um yeah, I'm I'm probably as cynical as as your dad. I mean, I, I remember the and as you do as well. Was it the 1974 World Cup? Yes. Where in the group games, West yep. Germany played North East Street. Germany. Yeah. Both clubs, both teams needed to draw to get through to the next round. And by Jove, that you know, that they managed that a sparkling nil nil. Where I think the ball didn't go out of the centre circle for 90 minutes. Yeah. If you look at the 1978 World Cup, where Argentina played Peru, Argentina needed to score five goals to get through to the next round. And uh, Argentina, the Argentinian government made a loan to the Peruvian government of grain uh, to, because the Peruvian harvest had uh, had collapsed. Um, and you know, I, I've been to Peru. Uh, one, one of the top 10 moments of my life was going to the Manu National uh, Reserve in the middle of the Andes. To uh, I was in search of the giant river otter and managed to find one of the few families of, of giant river otters still remaining in the world. Absolutely amazing moment that was. Um, but uh, Argentina needed to score five goals and surprise, surprise, they won 6-0. Yeah, I, 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 this, is, this is why you can't drift off in any of your answers, Kieran, because suddenly you find yourself waking up in the middle of giant river otters. It's like, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how we got. I think it was Germany and Austria who played that nil-nil draw out before people. It was, yeah. The, the yeah. tweet. Um, uh, I love an otter, but um, I'm still, knowing your love of viz, I'm still trying to work out whether giant river otter is not some kind of euphemism. Um, yeah, Southampton's kit yesterday was slightly confusing because it was very much 1970s uh, Peru, which is a kit we all love. And um, I think, to be fair to the governments of both Argentina and Peru, that deal was signed after 
the six nil victory that was required, not before. So I think that that shows there is no shenanigans going on. But the idea, I mean, do you think? I suppose you could argue that that City Group in particular are, are acquiring clubs that aren't anywhere near the status of of Man City, and so therefore they're unlikely to be drawn against the Belgian team that they've just bought, for example. But it must make UEFA slightly uneasy if if you've got a situation in ten years' time where a, a group owns you know a club in every country in Europe essentially yes and remember we do have the Europa Shield or so we've got the new club competition coming into place in 2021-22 so it then therefore means that 96 clubs in Europe could be uh taking place in some form of cup competition um and therefore perhaps two or three of the non-Manchester City clubs could end up playing against each other um, so it, it's a genuine concern. UEFA have investigated. At present, they seem happy enough or they've been put off by the lawyers saying, well, you know, th- this is you know, in other businesses. Apple own Beats headphones, for example. Yeah, um, you know, we, we, we have we, we have takeovers. We, we have uh, M&A activities. So, so why can't that take place in the world of football as well? Um, and from City's point of view, you know, we, we've said this is partly to do with the Brexit issue of uh, you know perhaps using these clubs as a holding area mm. uh, un- until they get sufficient caps to be able to come to the Premier League. Yeah. Now, Kieran, it's our final question. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that we've had questions from ex-students of yours before, Kieran, but not from ex-students who have scored winning goals in FA Cup finals. So, uh, Laurie Sanchez asks, will clubs be getting the full facility fee for showing all September's games live? And did they at the end of last season when all this began? Right. Um, for those people who aren't familiar, the facility fee is every time you play in the Premier League more than 10 times, you get an additional £1 million. And that's regardless of whether you're the home team or the away team. Whereas in the championship, it's very much the money is always geared towards the home teams. Um, so the, the facility fee is not going to be given to clubs for those matches which are being broadcast live, which were not the original picks by BT Sport and uh, Sky Sports. And the reason for that, I've managed to do a bit of ferreting, um, and my understanding is that those matches have been given by the Premier League for no fee. So you know, Palace's match yesterday against Southampton was effectively um, an, an offering by the Premier League to the broadcasters and also to the fans. This, this is partly due to, to pressure from fans groups. So yeah, we've got to be thankful for the Football Supporters Association who do an absolutely superb job. Yeah. Uh, there was also political pressure from the government for this to be done. Uh, I, I think they're aware that uh, some of the, the working class uh, oiks like us do watch football, and and we might go out and uh, and and stamp our feet if we can't see our team. So uh, that that does seem to be the case. The only objections that were coming are not from domestic broadcasters, uh, but it turns out it's coming from overseas broadcasters. And the reason for that is that if a match uh, which was supposed to take place at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon gets rescheduled to eight p.m. on a Sunday. If you've if you've got the the rights for Asia, so if you've got the Japanese rights or the Thai rights or the Indonesian, you think about the the uh, the timing difference, and all of a sudden that that eight p.m. Uh, slot becomes three a.m. locally, and they say, well, hold on, yeah, we've just paid two or three hundred million pounds 
and when you, when you sell the rights overseas, it's for, it's normally for every single Premier League, right? Normally, we'd be showing these at eight or nine o'clock on a Saturday, and we get big figures. 3 a.m. on a Monday morning, it's not the same, and they start demanding refunds. So that's why the Premier League's not committing itself to go beyond the end of September with regards to the, the current form of distribution. Okay, and presumably to answer Laurie's second question, that was the same for the end of last season? Yeah, yeah, all the matches were given for free. Okay. Yeah, there was no additional money. Um, but that did, that was part of the reason why the refunds are being given by the Premier League, because some of the broadcasters said, we we bought 3pm on a Saturday afternoon, you're giving us you know, 3am on, on a Thursday night, we're not happy, we want some of our money back. Yeah, I, I must say it was a very odd experience watching Palace play at three o'clock on a Saturday in a pub when you could see the floodlights from from outside the pub window, all socially distanced, I hasten to add. But it, it, it was it was odd. It was strange, but um, much better to watch it with a couple of people than on your own in, in your house. But um, I, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with broadcast rights going ahead. But um, if, like Laurie Sanchez, you have scored a uh, winning goal in the FA Cup final and you have a question for us, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. And now I shall sit back and enjoy watching Kieran as he says our now famous last words. Well, first of all, folks, thank you. Thank you for the reviews and, and the feedback. It does help us. It does give us a bit of direction as to uh, where the show can go. Um, if, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if you could give us a review, give us five stars. It doesn't matter what you say. Um, you, you can say it's too long, it's too short, they're too old, they're too grey. It doesn't make it any any difference to us but it does help us in the charts and that, and that keeps producer guy happy um because i think he's he's, he's not here at present uh, monitoring our first video show because i think he's gone to uh, look at look at a showroom for an audi a3 for himself um <laughs> it's certainly not coming to us um so uh, if you could do that that'd be fantastic uh, and other than that look after yourselves football's back it's a step in the right direction Let's all get back on the terraces together. Yes, I agree. And and next time, Kieran, I'll I'll shave. You've you've I'm still slightly ashamed of the fact that you're so well groomed and turned out, and I just look like I've just crawled out of bed after celebrating a one 0 win over Southampton, which is pretty much the case. Uh, I'll see you soon, Kieran. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. Bye bye all. Buy some football.